We are in the summer of Psalms, right? We've been in Psalm chapter 32. Does anyone remember over the last couple weeks, Pastor Izzy talked about verses 1 through 7 in Psalm chapter 32. Does anyone remember what the theme of those seven verses were? Just looking for one word. Anybody. Anybody. Just guess. Just, just take a guess. Okay. He said sin. Very good. So the theme of those first seven verses was David confessing his sin. It was about receiving forgiveness. And now we're going to get to verses 8 through 11. And this is going to close out the chapter here. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can look over there. If you do, you can pull out your phones or your physical Bible if you have that. Even better, we're going to be in the NLT tonight, starting in verse 8 of Psalm chapter 32. David says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Verse 9, do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. In verse 10, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Nice job, Nathan. The theme of the first seven verses in Psalm chapter 32 is forgiveness. It's David going before the Lord and he's saying, Lord, I've sinned against you. Cleanse me. And he talks about how God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. How many of you have sinned? Raise your hand. If you haven't raised your hand, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now, so you can raise your hand. All right? We all sin. We all fall short. That's what Romans chapter 3 says. We all fall short of God's glory. And sometimes we think that forgiveness is the starting point and the end point of Christianity. That's, okay, we know we messed up. We know we make mistakes. We know we're not perfect. Okay, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You're definitely not. No, I'm just kidding. We're not perfect. And, and we come to the Lord and we, we, we say, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that, that the blood of Jesus sets us free and forgives us of our sin. And then we think, well, that's it. That's the end of it. And really... That's not the end, but it's really just the beginning. Because God doesn't just save you from sin. He saves you for something else. God doesn't just save you from your sin. He saves you for something else because he has a place in his kingdom for you. He has a purpose for you. If, as we were just singing earlier, if you would make room, if I would make room in my life for more of God, if I would let God come into my life, the, the parts of my life that maybe your parents don't know about, maybe even your best friends don't know about, if you would let God come into those places, you'll see that he has a place and a destiny for you and one that is full of joy, one that is full of hope and his favor. And that's why this psalm doesn't end in verse 7. Deliverance from sin is the point that real life begins. So verses 1 through 7, David talking about forgiveness. David saying God is faithful to forgive if we confess our sins. David receiving that forgiveness. All of those verses point to the conclusion here in verses 8 through 11. 
David wants to draw our focus to verses 8 through 11. Going back to verse 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. This is what Dion was talking about earlier, that God is mindful of you. We were singing it. Who am I that you're mindful of me? God doesn't just save you. Primo, I saved you your sins. All right, see you later. Have a good day. He doesn't just do that. He wants to be with you now every step of the way if you would make room for him. And so one of my questions for you tonight is, is God your savior or is he your shepherd also? Okay. Is God just your savior or is he also your shepherd? Because a savior is just someone like a firefighter can come in, he can save you from your burning house, and then that's kind of it. Maybe you say thank you. Well, hopefully you would say thank you. That would be the polite thing to do if someone saves you, if someone saves your life, right? But you don't necessarily follow that firefighter where he goes. That would be stalking. That would be creepy. You get arrested. All right? But God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to shepherd you. When I was 27 years old, I was married. At this time, I was probably married for about maybe three years. And we took a, a leadership retreat. Our church took a leadership retreat out to some really nice lake in Indiana. One of the elders had a, a father or father-in-law that owned a really nice place out there. And I've always been a, I guess I would say a decent athlete. I could play a little bit of most of the sports, except for soccer, but it's not really a sport. But sorry about that. But, but, but I've never been a good swimmer. And I've tried, and I still try. I like to just challenge myself and get better, better. But I, I'm, I've never been a great swimmer. And certainly at that time, even though I was already 27 years old, I was not a good swimmer. And I remember my, my friend, the elder, he and his son, his son was probably about Malachi's age, maybe, maybe even younger, maybe eight, I don't know. And they swam out to this little dock that was, well, let's just say to make the story better, let's say it was 100 yards away. It was probably more like 10. But let's say it was 100 yards away. And, and the waves were moving that day, right? Like they were, I wouldn't say they were crashing, but they were moving. It was not still waters. And so I see my friend, I see this elder, he's about, maybe about 15 years older than me. I see him swim out and I go, ooh, that's, that looks kind of tough. And I'm thinking, well, all right, well, you know, he's from here or he's been here before. He knows the waters. He's a good swimmer. I'm just going to stay right here. Then I see his son do it. His son's like eight. I'm, I'm not kidding. He's like eight, maybe nine. I don't know. He's, he's, he's like this tall, okay, and I'm a grown man, well, at least, well, whatever, at least I thought I was a grown man, and so I, I'm thinking, I can't let this kid outdo me, so I'm, I'm out there, and I'm swimming, and I'm, I'm huffing, and I'm puffing, and I, my form is terrible, and by God's mercy and grace, I made it to that little dock or that little wooden raft, whatever it was that was out there, I made it, and then my friend goes, all right, Let's swim back. Oh, man, I don't know about you guys. Swimming is so exhausting. I've run 10 miles, 20 miles. And I, I'll work out of the gym for three hours. I'm fine. But swimming, it's something about swimming. It just, it takes everything out of me. And we weren't there very long. But I didn't want to seem like I didn't know what I was doing, even though I didn't know what I was doing. Probably should have just admitted where my weaknesses were. And so they swim back. They start to swim back, he and his son. And, and then I'm swimming. And at some point I realize, 
I'm not going to make it, guys. Like, I, I don't have anything left in me, and I'm probably maybe halfway there, right? And so I'm swimming, and, and I, I, could, I could feel myself struggling. And I could only imagine that in their point of view, from their point of view, they're like, man, this guy really shouldn't be out here. And so my friend, his name is Ted, he goes, he goes, hey, Jay, Jay, are you okay? And I'm not a pretty, actually, I'm a pretty calm guy in most circumstances, I think. I wasn't always calm, but in most circumstances, I'm pretty calm. And in this circumstance, even though I was about to drown, I was pretty calm. So he says, Jay, are you okay? And I go, no. Just, just really call me like that. Like, no, I'm not okay. And, and I'm not kidding you. I thought in my head, I thought, you know, God, I lived a good life. Like, I think I did okay, right? I, I didn't have kids at that point, but I was in ministry and I was married for about, I think, three years or so at that point. And, and I just thought, I, I lived a pretty good life. And by God's grace, he came and Ted came and he got me and, and he swam back with me in his arms. You know, I'm a grown man being carried by another grown man back to shore or whatnot. And I just remember being so grateful to him for saving my life. And even now when I think about that, I'm, I'm really thankful. But you know what I don't do? I don't follow him. He's not my shepherd. He's not my guide in life. And so many of us, we treat God that way. Where from verses 1 through 7, hey, God, I'm drowning. Hey, God, I've, I've got anxiety. God, I've got depression. I've got these thoughts in my mind. I've got a situation at home that doesn't look so good right now. I'm afraid to go to school because I'm being bullied. I don't like going to church sometimes because I feel like I'm out of place. And in those moments, we want to say, God, save me. God, save me. God, save me. And then God does. And then when God says, okay, now let me guide you. Now that I saved you, now that I've forgiven you, let me guide you. And at that point is where we say, no, I think I'm okay. I, I think I want to go my own way here. I don't know about you. But I've come to a place where I'm so thankful that God doesn't want to leave me alone. He does not want to leave me alone. And Deanna was talking about that, about that earlier with her father. And I didn't have a dad growing up. So there were so many moments in my life, so many of those, you know, the birthdays and, and even getting married and having my first kid and all of those things, graduating where my dad wasn't there. And in those moments, I would feel alone. But I'm thankful that God isn't like my earthly father. And even if you have a good earthly father, maybe you do. And if you do, great. God is even better than that. He's even better than your earthly father. That every moment he's paying attention to you. Listen, I'll tell you as a, as a worship pastor, as a worship leader, as a musician, I'm thankful that when I was in high school and kind of just getting started as a musician, I, I joined my high school worship team. I'm thankful that I had a high school principal who was an amazing musician, he was offered the opportunity to play with Sammy Davis Jr., who none of you guys probably know about, unless you're Edwin, because he's an old soul. Um, but Sammy Davis Jr. It was like a musical genius. Uh, he would be, who was a musical genius to you guys in your generation? Someone said Dua Lipa. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody? I didn't hear you. Okay. 
Sammy Davis Jr. was a big deal. Sammy Davis Jr. was a big deal. And my high school principal turned down an opportunity to play with him to go into ministry, to serve the Lord. And I'm thankful that in that and through that, he wouldn't leave me alone. He would pull me to the side as, as a really great spiritual father, as a really great musician, and, and he would teach me how to lead worship. He would teach me how to play songs. And he was actually just a really cool guy in general. I remember, I don't know if your principals are like this, but I remember one time I was a senior in high school, and my friend from California came over. It was like kind of last minute. He's like, hey, man, I'm in town. You want to hang out? And I wasn't always a smart kid, and, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll hang out. I had a car, which to me was like total freedom. So we stayed out all night. We were driving through downtown. I don't even remember, like, where we went. I shouldn't probably about it. Anyways, it doesn't matter because that's the past. But, but we were out all night, and I didn't sleep a wink that night. And I remember going in that Friday morning, you know, I had a lead worship. I led worship. After worship, I went to my principal's office, and I just said, hey, man, uh, can I go home now? <laughs> and, and he's like, why? And here's my thing. I would rather just be honest than make up. I could have been like, oh, I feel, <coughs> I feel sick. I just said, um, I, was, I was out all night with my friend from California, and um, I'm, just, I'm just really tired. And my principal was so cool. He was like, all right. He's like, see you Monday. <laughs> God bless that man, right? But he poured himself into me. He gave me direction, even when I didn't feel like I needed direction. And that's what God wants to do with us. Some of you guys feel like you're doing okay on your own. And God is saying, man, I have a better plan. I have a better path for you. Look at verse 9. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So the life of following God will be one of frequent stumbles and falls. But it's good to know that he never leaves us or forsakes us. It's good to know that even when we are being stubborn and difficult, like mules, he still leads us. My son can be a pretty sore loser. When he loses, like we were playing Call of Duty the other day, and when we lost, like I could I could almost see like the tears, like but he's like he's like trying to fight it. He's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, Pops, I'm good, right? But I could see, like, the tears are forming, and, and sometimes we think that when we act out of control that like, God is, like, so mad at us or God is so ashamed of us. Now, hear, hear me out. God doesn't approve of our bad behavior. So when we sin, when we mess up, God's not sitting there thinking, hey, good job. He's not sitting there thinking, I'm glad you did that. No, but at the same time, he's not there to condemn us either. Okay, do you guys get what I'm saying? I want to be really... I want to be open and honest with you because I don't want to sugarcoat and make you feel like if you make a mistake that God is like cheering that. But he does cheer you when you make a mistake and you get back up and you say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to follow your path. He's absolutely cheering you on when you do that. And so my son, like, I could tell he's like, he's really upset. You know, wants to throw the controller, wants to throw the phone, whatever the case may be. I don't really get too upset at him because when I see him do that, I know it's me. Like, I know, I know, I know he got that from me. Listen, when we first got married, my wife and I, was just, just the two of us, and we decided to do, like, board game night. I don't know if, you know, married couples, dating couples, you guys, really, really good thing if you guys keep yourselves in check, which I didn't. So we, we bought the board game Risk. We went to Target, 
Risk is about total domination. It's about world domination. And I was just completely destroying my wife, like I, because she, she didn't know how to play. And then maybe by the third or fourth game or so that evening, she kind of figured it out. Like she changed her strategy, and she started beating me. And I'm 25, I think, 24, 25 at this point, playing. It's a man's game. It's a man's game. Okay, risk is a man's game. We're playing risk, and she starts beating me, and I promise you, I, I got so mad. I didn't even let her win. Like, I knew she was like a few more moves or a few more, you know, roll of the dice, whatever. She was really close to winning, and I knew there was no way I could come back. And so just in my anger as a, as a 25-year-old, I wasn't a pastor yet. I don't know if that makes it better or not. I wasn't a pastor. In my anger, I... I pick up the board, and I throw it across the room, and all the pieces just go flying. And my wife's like, who did I marry? <laughs> you know? And, and she literally said to me, she said, we're never playing this game again. And we never did. The only time that we did was on the iPad because she knew that I was smart enough to not throw the iPad across the room. That was, that was the only time. But when we sin, when we have these outbursts, I'm so thankful that God is there to walk alongside of us, that God isn't there to shame us or condemn us. Yeah, he's going to tell you, and, and your leaders, if, if you have good leaders, they will tell you the mistakes that you're making. They will let you in on that. They will enlighten you, but they'll walk alongside you because we've made those mistakes too, and we want to help each other to grow and to be on the path that God has for us. So verse 10, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Now I want to be clear here. When it says the wicked, it's not just talking about people that are, I don't know, like witches that are stirring pots or like potions or, or like, you know, they got little dolls of Edwin and like they're poking. Although that stuff is real. Like those are, those are wicked people. Edwin's like, oh, what happened? Uh, okay. Those, those are wicked. Those are wicked people. But here when it's talking about the wicked, it's, the Bible's really just talking about people that defy God. So the Bible's talking about people that, that decide, hey, here's God's path. Here's my path. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do my thing. Okay, if you choose your path, you're walking in the way of the wicked. Okay, again, doesn't make you an evil person, doesn't make you the worst person in the world. Maybe other things do, I don't know. But that doesn't, okay? But it does mean that you're wicked in, from this definition. And so, oftentimes, we want to choose our own path, or we want to choose the path of the world because we feel like, man, I'm, I'm missing out on something here. If, if I don't do what my friends are doing, if I don't do what those kids are doing, if I don't do what those celebrities are doing, that I'm missing out. And what I want to tell you tonight is that the only thing you're missing out on is a life of misery. If you choose to follow God's path for your life, the only thing you're going to miss out on is a life of misery. We live in a celebrity culture. We magnify people 
and their accomplishments. We envy people with money, high social status, people who have huge followings on social media. We see their homes, their vacations, their money, their fame, their success, but we often don't see in the moment their brokenness, their anxiety, their depression, their broken marriages, their empty friendships. And listen, it's, it's not because they have those things. I'm not saying that their lives are miserable. You know, I was just, every now and then, well, not, almost every day, you, you hear of another celebrity couple that just gets divorced. And, and so many times when, when they get married, you just, you can kind of tell, oh, that, that's not going to last. And it's not because necessarily they have the money or they have the fame, although that does put some pressure. It's not that. It's that. They put their trust in their money. They put their hope in their fame. They put their joy in their following. That everything in their life revolves around those things. And so there's no more room, as we were singing, there's no more room for God. And I'm not against you guys having money. I'm not against you guys having stuff. Listen, I had a hard time deciding what jersey to wear tonight because I have a pretty extensive jersey collection. And it's only rivaled by my shoe collection. And so those things, those things aren't bad by themselves, but it's when you put all of your eggs in that basket, so to speak, when you put all your hope, when your joy is found in the things that you have, when your joy is found in what people think about you, when that's what you're living for, when you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about trying to impress people, that's what you're living for. That's when your life becomes miserable because at the end of the day, everyone and everything will fail you. Everyone except for God and everything except for his love. And that's why it says many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. And what does that mean? That means that, that when you put your hope in Jesus, and I'm not saying that when you start trusting God, when you start making room in your life, that all of a sudden you don't care about those things because you're human and you're surrounded by those things. And so it's easy to care about those things. I still care about shoes. Sometimes I wish that I didn't because then maybe my kids can go to college, but they can't. They're not going to be able to go to college, guys, because, but, but hey, they'll have a lot of shoes when they're older. I hope they can fit into them. So it's not, it's not like those things all of a sudden disappear, but it's, you, you're giving your trust and your hope. And then what happens is over the course of time, you actually, you start to care a little bit less about what people think. You start to care a little bit less about how much money you have in the bank account. You start to care a, a little bit less about how big your home is or how nice your car is. And again, not saying you shouldn't have those things. That's great. Just don't put everything, don't make that your dream. Don't make that your hope in life. Make God the source of your joy. So verse 11, talking about joy. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. This word rejoice just means take joy in, take delight in, live for. So there's joy, and this is what I found, 
that when I follow God's path, listen, there's so many times where I don't, I don't want to follow God's path. But what I found is that as I do that, there's actually a lot of joy in it. There's actually a lot of fun in it. It's actually a lot better than what I had for myself because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm pretty dumb. And God's really, 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 really smart. And he's also very loving and he's also very kind as we were singing. And he's thinking about you and he's got really good plans for you. And if you follow him, you'll find joy in obedience. We're here on Jersey night. And there's, there's a name on the front of your jersey and there's a name on the back. The best athletes play for the name on the front of the jersey. The best athletes play for the name on the front of the jersey. They don't play for themselves. And the ones that do, yeah, they might be famous, but they won't go down as legends. The ones that go down as legends are the ones who win, and the ones who win are the ones that put the team first. One of the most iconic sports jerseys is the New York Yankees jersey. I don't know if we have that, that slide. I hate the Yankees. I, I can't stand the Yankees. I really can't. I just, I, I absolutely, I love New York. I hate the Yankees. And um, so much to the point that if there was a New York Yankee here and, and they didn't know Jesus and they wanted to be saved, I wouldn't tell, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. But I really do. I really do. They're one of, one of the, my most hated teams. But you know something about this jersey that I absolutely love? And what makes this jersey different than a lot of other jerseys out there, in fact, most other jerseys, is that there's no name on the back. Because it's not about the player. It's about the team. And your life shouldn't be about you. And my life shouldn't be about me. It should be about the team that we're playing for. It should be about Christianity. It should be about following Jesus. And I'm going to close with this. In John chapter 1, verse 19, I'm going to read this through, and then we'll touch on it a little bit and then go back to those verses. But in John chapter 1, verse 19 to 23, it says, this was John's testimony. Talking about John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. See, they thought John had a really big ministry and they thought that maybe he was the Messiah because he was a big deal. And he said, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Verse 22. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. John the Baptist was the prophet who came before Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. I just feel like, like David was the man after God's own heart, and Peter was crucified upside down, and Paul wrote all these letters. When Jesus says, you're the goat, that means something, okay? So John the Baptist was a big deal he had a huge following. He had disciples. He was so popular that even 
the, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders at the time. Listen, we're not talking about driving, you know, to downtown to see the mayor. We're not talking about, you know, flying a couple hours to see someone famous. They sent people on foot or on horseback for probably like a journey of a day or two to figure out who John the Baptist was. In fact, Herod, who was one of the rulers in the Roman Empire, knew about John the Baptist. That's, that's how big John the Baptist was, that even one of the rulers in the area knew about it. Listen, as ministers, we can have you know, our own little following. We can feel like we're somebody in the church, or maybe even, even outside the church. Listen, I'm pretty sure Joe, Joe Biden, don't know, he don't know who we are, okay? And that's okay. I don't want him to know who I am, all right? But John the Baptist had such a huge following. But listen, when they question him, Again, in verse 19, who are you? He says, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, no. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? He says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. You know what's really interesting that you find in that passage? They ask him four times who he was. Four times they want to know his identity. And like the Yankees jerseys, You know what's missing in John chapter 1? His name. Never gave him his name. Because he realized that it's not about me. It's not about my following. He was a big deal. If he had an IG account, he'd be as big as Kylie Jenner, but without the makeup. And so he could have easily put his name out there. He could have made his stature bigger. But he's like, hey, it's not, it's not about me. And I wonder for you guys, students and leaders in this room, when you look at your life, when you look at the things that you say and the things that you do, when you look at the different areas in your life, I'm not talking about who you are here because who we are here is really easy. It's really easy to follow God here. It's really easy to sing the songs here. It's really easy to talk about Jesus here. It's really easy to let God, as we were talking about in Psalm 32, it's really easy to let God guide us here and to follow him here. But what about at home? When it comes to your relationships with your siblings, when it comes to your relationship with your parents, what about at school with your friends? What about at work if you work? What about when you're not at church? What, are those, what do those areas of your life look like? Are you still being guided by the Lord? Or are those moments where you say, you know what? I actually, I take my own path in those moments. I have a screenshot of Psalm chapter 32. If you look at the different sections here, there's this word that says Selah. And you got to remember that psalms literally means songs. So, so these, these were songs that most of them were written by David, that David and others would write, and they would have music to them, and they would sing these songs. So, so that's kind of makes it a little bit unique compared to other passages in the Bible. And then there's this word Selah that kind of breaks up some of those sections. And what that word Selah means is it's just like an instrumental break. It's like a pause. It, it can mean to think about, to, to reflect. 
Sometimes in, in a good, you know, music set, whatever your, whoever your favorite artists are, you, you need that musical break, and then you just kind of think about what they were singing, right? And so what I, what I want us to do tonight is we're going to play that song, Make Room. We were just singing it. I'm not going to have the team come up, but we're just going to play it. And I don't even want you guys to sing it, okay? Because I want us to take a selah. I want us to take a moment where as the music is playing and as those words are being sung, that we pause and we think about the different parts in our life, the different parts in our emotions, our thoughts. What are those areas where God wants to guide us? Like, yeah, we've been forgiven and and thank God for that because we need that. But now that we've been forgiven, he wants to guide and lead us. And so I just want to take these next four to five minutes and I want you to, you can even pull out your phone and I want you to take some notes and say, what are those areas in your life? And you can write those things out and then you can, afterwards you can share them with someone. But we're just going to take this time right now to think about and reflect. And so what are the, the areas in your life that are being guided by God? And what are the areas in your life that you still have ownership over? What are the things when you, when you look at your life, when you look inside your heart, when you think, the things that you think about even, what are the, the parts that are labeled God? Like this, this I've given to God. And what are the parts that you're still holding on to, and it, you know, we talked about just who we are at school, who we are at home, who we are at church. You know, for if you work, it could be finances. Some of us we struggle so hard with giving God control, making room for God in our finances. And so, even as it says on the screen, who are you representing? Is it the name? on the back of the jersey, or the name on the front. And I want to encourage you students and leaders to to take these notes, if you wrote them down, if you have them in your head, share them with someone. Because when you share them with someone, you give them the opportunity to hold you accountable, right? I can tell myself tomorrow morning, I'm going to run at 4 in the morning. But I probably won't (laughs) because I want to, be sleeping. Well, like on July 4th, Primo and uh, Pastor Izzy and a couple other leaders, we said to each other, hey, we're going we're gonna to walk the lakefront. We're going we're gonna to rock march the lakefront at four in the morning. And we did. And why? Because we held each other accountable. And that's how you grow. And, and what you'll find is that, you know, maybe it won't happen overnight. And it probably won't ha- happen overnight in terms of the things that we give to the Lord. But you give a little bit each day, you give a little bit each morning, you give a little bit every week, and you'll see yourself grow and flourish and be the person that truly rejoices in obedience to the Lord. And you get from the place of receiving forgiveness to the place of being guided by the Lord. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for every student, every leader. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord, because you know that We are so imperfect, and we are so lost without you. 
that without your forgiveness, we could never stand before you. But I also thank you that beyond forgiving us of our sins, you want us to, to be guided by you. You want to come alongside of us. You want to surround us with your unfailing love and draw us closer to you every day, step by step. And so I pray for every student, every leader, help us, Lord, to make room for you in every part of our lives as we go along in this journey. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.